Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Gilbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is writer Cheryl Merrill. Her essays on elephants and nature have appeared in several publications, including Fourth Genre, Self Loop Review, and Isotope. Cheryl is currently completing a book about elephants called Larger Than Life, Living in the Shadows of Elephants. Cheryl Merrill, welcome to Creativity and Play. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I just a uh, little bit ago, as I was thinking about uh, the elephants and this topic, it, it occurred to me that, for me, elephants are sort of like uh, Ireland in the sense that I've never met anybody who's been to Ireland who hasn't felt some profound connection to the place, whether they are Irish or not. And, and it, it struck me that elephants seem to be the Ireland of the animal world <laughs> in the sense that I it, it's hard to find a person who doesn't think highly of elephants and feel a profound sense of their being in the world. And, of course, I know that there's people that that don't believe that and uh, hunt them still and things like that. But by and large, that there's this sense of they're, they're different than almost any other being. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what makes them so and, and, and how you've tapped into all of that as a writer. <laughs> okay. Um I think that's, well, it's one of the reasons I called my book Larger Than Life. Um, I think that elephants are fascinating to people because, just because they're so big, um, and um, they've been portrayed in cultures and literature throughout the ages, ever since, you know, the first person discovered an elephant on the cave walls, you know. Um, And it's something I think that people... Um, can relate to in an odd way um, because elephants are a lot like us. And one of the things I'm trying to do in my book is to point out how similar we are in terms of how we affect the planet and how similar our lives uh, are in terms of family units and how we interact with each other what we see, what we do, what we hear. Um, those are the kinds of subjects that I try to bring up in my book um, as if uh, people were experiencing them for the first time. So um, it's, it, it's, a, um, it's a great study in terms of, um, you know, studying another animal because in many ways I'm also studying humans at the same time. Um, so I think that interconnectedness is what draws people and certainly drew me as a writer um, to elephants. Uh, and how, how long have you had this connection yourself as a writer to this topic? I, I first went to Africa in 1996. Um, I went looking for lions because, you know, all those National Geographic specials and all that kind of stuff, you go looking for the excitement, you know. And I was in Africa. I was in Africa for four weeks and never saw a single lion. Heard them every night. Um, actually, did see a, the tail of one going off into a bush. But the elephants were everywhere. We kept 
bumping into elephants. Um, and sometimes we would be sitting around a water hole at night, <clears throat> excuse me, and they would come out of the bush and just completely surround us. So that was pretty impressive. So um, I quit looking for lions and started looking at elephants. I love the spontaneity of that. How how you found the topic that way? Well, I think it found me actually yeah. <laughs> more than I found it. <laughs> I I said I better pay attention to this, you know. Well, Cheryl, I would like to dovetail on what you were uh, just talking about after Steve asked his question about um, our connection or many people's connections with elephants. And locally we have a group called Orca Network. We have three orca or killer whale pods in our waters. And I've gone to a number of talks and different events with them. And there was one that where a researcher came and talked about the connection between orcas, our orcas, and their life and elephants. Because uh, both of them, like us as human beings, they have, as you were saying, they have some similarities to us. They have social groups. They have a culture, elephants and orcas and we. Um, they And they're a matriarchal society. And they live as long as we do. And they have um, some pretty darn good communication, far more reaching than we do, actually. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of those um, a little deeper into the connections that we have with elephants in those ways, and and I'm just fascinated with the fact that we have many. There are there are a number of water and other mammals who um, you know have this kind of a culture that we think of as only human. And I think that the our perception of that culture is also um, sort of uh, contained by only what we know. There's so much that we don't know about whales and about elephants um, and other um, mammal species that have um, large family groups. Um, yes. they communi- yeah, They communicate in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine, um, like infrasound. Um, I and I know that both orcas and um, other whale species, as well as elephants, can recognize individual sounds. Um, and I know that elephants. I'm not as familiar with orca research, but I know that elephants can understand individual voices, other elephants, um, simply because of the ways that elephants can make sounds. They can use their the huge sinuses that are in their heads. They use their trunks. Um, They use um, uh, a method of sound called infrasound, which is something that uh, whales use, but it's um, uh, below our level of hearing and um, can transfer over very large distances. I'm not sure about whales, but I know that elephants can hear each other at least 10 miles apart. Um, and so you can stay in contact with your family group over huge distances and, um, um, you know, around big obstacles, too. Um, so 
I think in a way, I mean, this is just my feeling, but just from that very fact itself, it seems to me that there, the bonds between um, the individuals in both elephants and whales and orcas would be a whole lot more strong um, simply because you can stay in contact throughout most of the day. You know where each other is. You know which direction you're headed in. You know if somebody found a good source of food, you know, um, or if they're headed for water. Um, you know if something is startling them or they're afraid. You know, that's the kind of thing that humans don't know on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis with the people that are important to us. So I think there's a lot of things that um, humans can learn from elephants, but there's a lot of things that we just can't even hardly imagine. We can know about it a little bit. We can write about it a little bit. We can try to research it, but there are... um, and this is true with a lot of things in our universe, there's just a lot of things about these uh, fellow creatures that we just do not understand. Well, uh, when I was reading through some of your writing, I came across an essay you did um, where you used um, uh, a poem to, as a bouncing-off point to write about elephants. And it was a Wallace Stevens poem. And it was beautiful, but I picked up in it um, some of the, you know, the atrocities, basically, or the inhumane ways we not only treat our elephants, but all all living beings, ourselves and other living beings, including elephants. And I'm reminded, because we're both in the Northwest, that we have, right now, we have quite a controversy at the Woodland Park Zoo about our the elephants that are at our zoo and where they're going to go. And there's people protesting um, mm-hmm. the decision that they've made. I'm sure you're aware of that. I wonder if you can speak to some of those issues about the inhumanity and um, some creative solutions that you might suggest for our listeners in terms of those things? Uh, boys, those are two really big subjects um, that we could spend Yes, well, do, do your just, do <laughs> the best you can. <laughs> um, you know, an elephant needs to walk at least 20 miles a day, and it needs um, uneven ground to walk upon. So elephants in captivity have to have their feet constantly tended to um, they have to have their foot pads pared down because if they don't, um, the calluses will develop in such a way that their bodies would um, get out of gait. You know, it would be like having one hip higher than the other. Um, and so, you you know, things start to happen in your body simply because you can't walk right. Um, their toenails have to be pared down because they're not naturally abraded by the rocks and, and sand and things that elephants walk through. In its lifetime, an elephant will walk uh, the equivalent distance of three times around the Earth. So elephants, because they're big, need a lot of space um, in order to have anything close to a natural life. So um, it would make sense to me that elephants in zoos don't have that kind of natural life and would deserve it uh, if... Um, if the chance comes to give them that. And so um, 
I would personally rather see the uh, elephants at the Woodland Park Zoo go to a sanctuary. Um, I understand that they would have to be in quarantine for a while, um, but um, that's all possible, and um, it's not a difficult thing. Um, I would love to see elephants not in zoos, um, and one of the ways that people can actually um, be in contact with elephants without having to travel to India or Africa um, is on this wonderful Internet that we have that we're using right now um, because there are many websites out there that do um, live broadcasts, and um, they do them even in Africa. You can go on a live safari right now um, let's see, what time is it? Uh, no, not right now. <laughs> it's a dark here now. Oh, okay. um, but you can do, uh, you can follow those websites and webcams, um, and they're all over the world. And they have ways of informing you more about elephants than you would find in a zoo, simply because most people don't spend a lot of time. They just go from exhibit to exhibit. Um, so... There's that's my opinion about zoos and about atrocities. Well, um, that's an age-old problem, and um, especially, um, especially, well, um, I would say exclusively a problem for humankind um, because animals that kill each other do so for, you know, the usual reasons. They're hungry, um, and um, you know it's. It's such a big subject, and there's so much that people can do to um, become aware of whatever portion of that subject that they are interested in, whether it's atrocities towards other creatures, atrocities towards humans, atrocities for against children. Um, it's you know I would hate to start going in any one of those directions uh, specifically because of of the hugeness of that subject. Well, I know that um, I had a very interesting synchronicity or meaningful connection with elephants after listening or coming to one of your events here locally and listening to you read. Um, and I was with a Peruvian shaman, and we were asked to to do a drawing with some paint, which we just put the paint between a couple pieces of paper and create a picture. And the picture mm-hmm. I created was of an elephant right after your cool. talk. Oh, and cool. I think that we're, not only am I dreaming about elephants in this way, but other people are too, worldwide, I believe. And probably the elephant's dreaming about us and all, you know, all these things we don't know. So um, I think that a, I'll just throw out that one of the ways that we can play and create in a more humane way is to pay attention to our dreams and the and broadcast you're talking about and um, getting to know the elephants in meaningful ways. I think um, you bring up a, a really good point, Mary Alice. Um, I think that if people um, are interested in the subject, one of the ways to find out a lot more about it is to get creative um, and to um, play around with it, to not only do drawings, do writings, but um, 
you know, one one of the things that came to my mind is that um, elephants draw um, naturally. Um, they'll pick up a stick and draw in the dust with it, um, and they'll pick up rocks and, and move them across rocks and, and make drawings. Quite frequently, they're abstract, um, but... Um, if you give an elephant um, some color, uh, there's a famous elephant named Lucy, I believe, who painted an ambulance because she saw an ambulance come to the zoo um, oh, well. soon and uh, soon after before she painted the uh, picture. So she used lots of reds and and lots of excitement in her painting, even though it was abstract. Um, so you know, it would be kind of fun, I think, to. Um, <laughs> Simply, you know, I'm weird this way. Simply pick up a stick and start drawing in the dirt and see what you think an elephant might think. I mean, you know, there are so many different ways to get creative. Um, one of the um, really lovely things that um, um, I go visit some specific elephants in Botswana. There's three elephants that were adopted by some friends of mine when they were two, year old, two years old. They're now in their late 20s, and um, they live like wild elephants live. Um, in the middle of Botswana, they browse every day, and uh, um, one that they make their living by hosting guests from a couple of uh, tent camps nearby. But they also host children from the local villages um, around that area, the big area, um, so that the children in villages who often see elephants as um, those giant things that raid your crops at night, um, they bring those children to the elephants. And um, you can walk up as a child and touch an elephant and learn about it and um, write about it and draw about it all the time that you're living with them in in the camp in Africa. Um, And so it's a way to learn an elephant is other than somebody who just ate your breakfast um, and how to uh, mitigate elephants from coming into your fields. And um, so it's, you know, the, basically the more you learn and the more that the children learn about elephants, the better that both lives are going to be in the um, region of the world where they live. And I think that... Um, Children in our cultures can learn an incredible amount um, through play and through imagining and comparing it to, you know, what's real, looking at videos and and looking at the real time, what's going on in Africa, Um, because I know there are classrooms that do that. Um, So, uh, like I said, this is just me, and I'm kind of strange about those kind of things. I'd pick up a stick and start drawing in the dirt, you know, <laughs> see what came out of it. And, and you did, you know, a um, a painting um, without, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say without thinking about it, but without pre-knowledge of what, where you were going with it. And I think that's a really important tool as uh, that humans have um, that we could use, we could do more frequently and use more of. Absolutely. You're singing our song, huh, Steve? Creativity <laughs> <Yeah>. and play. <laughs> That's unusual, perhaps, for our audience and guests. Um, <laughs> well, good to have you among them. That, 
let, let me tell you one another way that elephants are actually creative. The elephants that I go visit understand words um, because they've been around them for a long time. Not only do they understand elephants, but they understand human words. Um, and um, Doug and Sandy Groves are my friends who um, have these elephants in Botswana and care for them and let them live lives that are about as normal as an elephant can live um, and still interact with people on a daily basis. But um, they um, um, have a vocabulary of around, oh, 600 words that Doug and Sandy have used as sort of commands that reinforce behaviors. And so quite frequently the elephants will come up with a behavior and then wait for the humans to figure out a word for it. Um, so um, sometimes that behavior is vocal. Um, sometimes it's something like um, stealing a hat off your head. Um, so that was pretty easy. That became take, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, quite frequently an elephant will put its trunk, just this, uh, I mean these elephants will, um, put their uh, the tip of their trunk just right in your face, you know, which is kind of interesting because they're smelling you and getting information about you through your smell. Um, and the trunk is shaped kind of like an S-curve. So one of the things they did was to modify that behavior a little bit and call it give her your baby or give him your baby, and your baby is the actual command. Um, so the elephant puts its trunk in that position um, and a person can hold it by lifting it through with their arms, but an elephant's trunk weighs about 600 pounds. So an, the, the elephants are doing most of the work, and you're just feeling a little bit of the weight. And it's pretty, and it's an amazing behavior because not only did the, it's a modified behavior, but the elephant knows that it can't just simply drop its trunk in your arms, or you'll just you know fall down with two broken arms. So. Um, you know, elephants have a creative side that, um, uh, you know, people, unless they're in really close contact with them, really wouldn't know about other than um, um, behaviors that are large behaviors, like um, play behaviors that you can observe from a distance. And elephants love to play, by the way. You guys would love going there. You should go. <laughs> I'd love to. I'm sure she would. <laughs> do a live show with the elephant <laughs> and the humans around them. Well, so much of what you're you're describing, just you know, it, it seems like it's touching on lots of themes on creativity, learning, play, as you were just saying, and it's sort of shifting the emphasis of those themes to to you. Um, I'm I'm wondering how your experience with these elephants, as you've been describing them, has shaped or changed your creative life as a writer. How, how they've sort of infected your imagination, as, as I've gathered in some of your your writings online as well. <laughs> um, actually, you know, the imaginative part, and I think Mary Alice would really love this this part of it. The imaginative part, the poem that she mentioned, Thirteen Ways of Looking at an Elephant," is a takeoff mm-hmm. on a Wallace Stevens poem, Thirteen Ways mm-hmm. <clears throat> of Looking at a Blackbird." Sorry. And um, so I would put a stanza of Wallace Stevens, and then I would kind of riff on that and and, um, put down knowledge that I had about an elephant or make things up, which is what writers do. And um, so, you know, my 
I guess you'd call research about elephants, actually started out on the creative side of imagination. Um, and as I um, you know, became more, had more and more knowledge about elephants, then my writing emphasis has kind of changed into how do I translate that? How do I translate what I know to a way that people would understand? How can I use their imaginations, the reader's imagination, to see what I see and to understand about elephants um, in a totally different way? So um, I guess that's my sort of timeline of creation about uh, elephants. And so the book that I'm finishing up has that emphasis. It's uh, written in first person, present tense. I try to embed... uh, the reader right next to the elephant, so they're experiencing what I'm writing about. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, that's still sort of all um, uh, creativity and imagination and play, but it's taken a more focused direction. And I, I know you were saying before we went on that that you anticipate that the book will be out by next year. If, if our listeners are looking for it and are interested in it, and again, the title is Larger Than Life, Living in the Shadows of Elephants. And, and they can also check out my website because it'll be, you know, the website's definitely going to have all the information about what I'm doing and when it's coming out and all of that sort of stuff. And again, we've linked Cheryl's website from our Creativity and Play show website as well, so you can... Um, get to her blog there and, and also see a lot of great photographs, a few of which are on our site, but many more of which are on Cheryl's site. Um, uh, just in the last couple of minutes that we have left, um, can you say a little bit more about the photography part? You you do bring that into your writing as well and, and the photographs that uh, appear on your site and I presume will probably be in the book as well. Um, that you can receive daily. You can receive them da- daily too as well. I do. Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Mary Alice. Yeah, I do a daily elephant on my blog. Um, the photographs, I guess, were the way that my eye and my imagination were more focused into um, what I'm doing. I, I have a, I don't have a photographic memory. My memory is triggered by photographs. Um, I have, of course, a ton of photographs of every time I go to Africa of everything. And I use those as touchstones for descriptions and um, ways forward to help people understand what's going on and how things work, you know, when you're tromping around in the bush. Um, and, um, and since I have so many of them, I thought, why not share them? <laughs> so that's the purpose of... Uh, of sharing photos of the elephants and um, other things on both my blog and Facebook and Twitter and all those things. Um, just because people really, I believe, love beauty and just having a little bit of beauty in your life every day, you know, I just wanted to create that little, you know, microsecond of beauty in somebody's life. So um, that's, what I'm trying to do, and then, of course, tagging it back to the book eventually. So um, I guess that's... that's the, I'm not a uh, professional photographer by any means, but there's um, a lot of things that catch my eye. So um, if yeah. you sign, sign up for my blog, you'll see a lot of it. <laughs> and 
and you have such a great headshot that we've included in in the show uh, listing on our site of you you and close up of the elephant's trunk and and very different than most people's headshots. So that was that was a great uh, play, playful one to yeah. include as well. So well, yeah, that's said. Go ahead. Go ahead. About thirty seconds. Please. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that headshot is Jabu. He's one of the elephants I visit. He's 12 feet tall at the shoulder, and he's an extremely gentle, wonderful elephant um, that I hope you'll read more about. Well, Cheryl, thank you again uh, very much for joining us on Creativity and Play. It's great to uh, come at this topic from a different perspective than sometimes we do, and uh, we appreciate you being with us today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Cheryl Miller is a writer whose work focuses on elephants, nature in Africa, and the forthcoming book on elephants uh, to watch for is called Larger Than Life, Living in the Shadows of Elephants. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste, and you can listen to this show and previous shows again. Find more information about our guests and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com. And find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you again, Cheryl, for joining us. Thank you.